0: Hello and welcome. you found the Social Work Podcast. My name is Jonathan Singer, and I'll be your host as we explore all things social work. Hey there, podcast listeners. Jonathan here. In today's episode of the Social Work Podcast, I talk with Dr. Holly Oxhandler about religion and spirituality in social work practice. Now, long-time listeners of the podcast will know that I've done several episodes about religion and spirituality, starting with episode 2, back in January of 2007, when I talked about the role of spirituality in the biopsychosocial-spiritual assessment. Uh, Looking back through the archives, I was amazed to see that 2010— was a banner year for religion and spirituality on the podcast. I first spoke with Nancy Boyd Franklin in episode 59 about incorporating religion and spirituality into social work practice with African Americans. And later that year, I spoke with author Eileen Flanagan in episode 61 about the serenity prayer. That's right. I did an entire episode about the serenity prayer. And it was fascinating. And if you haven't listened to it, go check it out. In 2012 and 2014, I had episodes about religious child maltreatment, which encompasses religiously motivated physical, emotional, and sexual abuse, as well as medical neglect. And along the way, many of my guests have talked about the role of religion and spirituality in various facets of social work practice. And so you're probably wondering, why another episode? (laughs) Well, Social work has an uncomfortable relationship with religion and spirituality. You know, we're required to assess for religion and spirituality, but most social workers have no training in what to do when people say that religion and spirituality is important. And as my guest, Holly Oxhandler, mentions in this interview, social workers as a profession are much less religious and much more spiritual than the general population. And when social workers are religious their religious affiliations are very different from the general population. So even though social workers don't have to share a faith tradition with their clients or have any faith tradition at all, I still have questions about the role of religion and spirituality in social work. So I turn to my friend, an associate dean for research and faculty development and associate professor in Baylor's Diana Garland School of Social Work, Dr. Holly Oxhandler. Dr. Oxhandler's research focuses on the ethical and effective integration of clients' religion, spirituality, and mental and behavioral health treatment, and she's received funding from the John Templeton Foundation and Spencer Foundation. She developed the Religious-Spirituality Integrated Practice Assessment Scale for mental health care providers and a number of other scales to better understand clients' and social work educators' views or experiences with this topic. Dr. Oxhandler also serves as the co-host with Robert Vore of the CXMH, the Christianity and Mental Health Podcast, a podcast at the intersection of faith and mental health. And you can find Dr. Oxhandler on social media at Holly Oxhandler and the CXMH podcast at cxmhpodcast.com. Now, before we get to the interview, let's get some definitions out of the way, and these come from Holly via Ed Canda's work. Religion is an institutionalized pattern of values, beliefs, symbols, behaviors, and experiences that are oriented towards spiritual concerns that are shared by a community and transmitted over time in traditions. For example, every Friday night, my family and I say prayers as we light candles, drink the fruit of the vine, and eat bread. This Shabbat tradition is shared by the community of Jews all over the world. By participating in this weekly tradition, we're passing along the symbols, behaviors, and experiences to our children. Spirituality, on the other hand, has some overlaps but is distinct in and of itself. Spirituality is said to be a universal and fundamental human quality involving the search for a sense of meaning, purpose, morality, well-being and profundity in relationships with ourselves, others, and ultimate reality, however that might be understood. And spirituality can be expressed in various religious forms, or it can be separate from them. Until he died last year, we celebrated Shabbat with my wife's grandfather every Friday night. My wife would call him. In the early days, we used Skype, and then more recently, with FaceTime. In the beginning, Shabbat was an excuse for us to show Irv our firstborn, his great-granddaughter. But over time, Shabbat became a way for our children to get to know their great-grandfather. The ritual of celebrating Shabbat had little to do with religion. We didn't talk about the meanings of the prayers, the symbolism of the candles, bread, or wine, or anything that could be considered remotely theological. And while Irv was a religious man, I also wondered if this was a spiritual experience for him. I wondered if seeing our five-year-olds reminded him of the 1920s, when he was five, living in Santi Espiritus, Cuba, celebrating Shabbat with his family. And every week, hearing his voice as he sang the prayers, compressed hundreds of years of family ritual into a single, and to be perfectly honest, oftentimes chaotic, five-minute FaceTime. Now, I'm not saying there's anything spiritual about yelling at your kids to please put down the matches. But I know that Shabbat will always mean something more to my kids because of the time they spent with their great-grandfather. May his memory be a blessing. And now... Without further ado, on to episode 128 of the Social Work Podcast, Religion and Spirituality in Social Work, an interview with Holly Oxhandler. Holly, thank you so much for being here on the podcast with me today.
1: Hey, Jonathan. Thank you so much for having me. It's such an honor to get to talk with you today.
0: What are some of the ways that we think about... Religion and spirituality showing up in social work.
1: I like to start by thinking about their role in our clients' lives, um, because of course, as social workers, our you know our our first priority is our clients' well-being and paying attention to the things that are important to them their their culture, their experiences, the um, their ways of coping with difficult situations. Um, And religion and spirituality can absolutely be woven into those things, in addition to it being tied into, you know, negative experiences that folks may have. Um, But, of course, it also involves the practitioner and what they believe in, um, because we can't check that at the door, but we need to be mindful of what those are and how they are connected to the work that we're doing. And then certainly we have to be mindful of the role of religion and spirituality within our practice setting and the type of work that we're doing.
0: I remember one of the things that uh, I talked about in my MSW program uh, there was somebody who was looking to be a Christian therapist. And this is the first time I'd ever run across that term. I went to school in Texas. Um, uh-huh. and, <laughs> Being from the Northeast, yeah. i had never come across somebody talking about being a Christian counselor. And oh. um, although they they exist in the Northeast, don't get me wrong. It's just not something that I had ever heard of. And, uh, you know, this, this classmate of mine and I, we had some great conversations because oh. for me, bringing religion into the therapy room was exactly – the wrong thing to do, mm. right? You, you don't mm-hmm. want to bring religion yeah. and spirituality because, as I expressed to him, I said, look, I have no theological training. Like, mm-hmm. if somebody has sort of a, a religious awakening or a spiritual moment, like, I don't know what to do with that. Like, that's mm. not my, that's not mm-hmm. my bag. But his take was very different. He was, he was the first person to tell me that, you know, most people that seek mental health services actually have some sort of faith com- um uh, mm-hmm. community are part of a faith community or are, are are involved in some sort of spiritual practice and so you know that for me was a real eye-opener about the intersection between faith spirituality what a social worker does what the client's life are and we were in yeah. an educational setting um Can you, can you talk a little bit more Mm. about sort of this intersection of mental health and religion and spirituality and like, what does that look like in social work practice?
1: Yeah, that's a really good question. Um, I love the ways in which, you know, your colleague kind of started to unpack that, um, and thinking about how this, this looks in clients' lives and, you know, truthfully, I'm originally from um, upstate New York, too. And so that northern, like, I understand that northern culture, it's not as talked about. It, it just wasn't discussed as much. Um, I remember that. And and how much that shift of moving to the south, what that looked like. Um, and specifically, for me, it was... When I was, uh, when, shortly after I had moved to Texas, I think within the first handful of years, I'd finished my undergrad. I was um, working with older adults with anxiety and depression. And that really was kind of the first point of entry for me to be thinking about this um, area in clients' lives. Because I had so many older adults who, when we would talk about coping statements through their anxiety and their depression, a lot of their coping statements involved their faith. Um, whatever that faith may be. But I was taught during my training while I was doing this work that you don't talk about this area of clients' lives. Like exactly what you were saying. Like you just don't go there. This is one of those topics that's taboo. You don't want to talk about Um And so I really struggled as an early clinician to think like, well, what do I do in these situations where this is clearly something that's important for my clients, but I don't really have the tools. I'm I'm not trained, you know, as a, a faith leader or have any kind of theological background to navigate these big, complex topics. Um, and it really was when I started learning more about social work and all the ways in which we in social work pay attention to so many different areas of people's lives and the ways in which, um, we refer out for a number of different issues that I started to see, oh, this, this fits in with one of those areas that I can pay attention to, but it doesn't necessarily have to be my. Um, responsibility or it's not my ethical obligation to be the one to navigate um, some of these spiritual struggles that my clients may be carrying or and or trying to navigate. So, you know, we really do want to make sure that we are practicing within our training, our competence, um, you know, but this also fits in within cultural humility and just being able to hold that space to say, Okay, well, what what is it that you believe, and how does that tie in with the work that we're doing, if at all? Um, whether it ties in in a positive way, where it's a a mechanism of which you you lean on in order to cope with what you're navigating, or if it is somewhat, you know, one area of your life that there's a lot of pain that we need to be talking about and unpacking too. Um, I think what we're seeing in the research and in the data now is that. We're at a point that not talking about it is actually unethical um, because of what you said, how so many individuals, they do see that this is an important area of their lives. Um, We have data showing that clients prefer to talk about it and for the mental health care provider, the social worker, to be the one to open that door and at least initiate with the question of, is this something that's important to you, and does it relate to the work that we're going to be doing together? Um, and we have data coming that out that's showing that when you ethically integrate clients' faith into their mental health care, um, it improves outcomes. So so avoiding it or not talking about it is actually a way that can really do some disservice to our clients, I think.
0: So, Holly, can you talk to us about what it looks like to integrate
1: yes, yes.
0: religion and spirituality into mental health care and then what it means for that to improve outcomes or, or what the mechanism is or how that happens?
1: Yes, absolutely. So um, so when we think about integrating, that can start with just including a question, at least a question in your biopsychosocial spiritual intake assessment. Um, oh, there's
0: the word spirituality. Look
1: at that. <laughs> look at that. Um, now, I'm going to
0: back up. So, so, so the biopsychosocial spiritual assessment. Mm-hmm. So it says spiritual, but you made this really clear distinction in the beginning between religion and Mm, spirituality. Yeah. And so is there an expectation from the Council on Social Work Education or NASW that we're focusing on the spiritual, but not the religious?
1: Yeah, it's really interesting. So we actually see in NASW's Code of Ethics, I'll say that religion is in there, but we don't see spirituality. Um, and in CSWE, yes, we do have religion and spirituality noted in there as an element of diversity that we need to be paying attention to alongside so many other layers of intersectionality.
0: So the biopsychosocial spiritual, spiritual really is kind of an umbrella term in that sense. So yes. if you're doing a, a biopsychosocial spiritual then it's okay to ask about religion and spirituality.
1: Yes, absolutely. I think kind of going back to those definitions that I had mentioned before, they are distinct, but when we really look at religion and spirituality, there are overlaps when it comes to our emotions, the ways in which we engage with the world, the ways in which we um, think about things. I mean, there really really are some overlaps. So yeah, spirituality would be that umbrella term. I like that.
0: so so you were so what I, I had asked you about how you integrate, and you said, you know this can start out with a question. What would be a question that you would ask
1: mm. that would
0: um, start to integrate this into social work practice?
1: Yeah, that's good. So what we have seen in the past is that typically folks will just ask. Um, what faith tradition individuals, like what is their faith tradition? And I think that's an okay start. But I, I've kind of been a little bit more vocal about pushing back against that. Because what we know is that a lot of folks may say, well, I, I you know, I grew up Catholic, nothing's really changed, like, but I don't practice that. (laughs) Right. And so, you know, that doesn't give us a lot of information about that person's spirituality or their faith. So a better question might be to ask, um, is your faith or your spirituality important to you? And does it connect with the work that we will be doing together? Or how does it connect with the work that we're going to be doing together? Or do you want to talk about it as we embark on the, the work that we're going to be doing together. Mm.
0: Those are so powerful because, um, immediately my, my gut is, well, I'm not sure if I would be prepared Mm -hmm. to talk. Like if they're like, yes, I absolutely do. This is central to my life. It's integrated. I can't imagine talking about anything without, bringing up how my, my faith or spirituality is integrated in my life. And, and that right then as a provider, yeah. I would be like, um, okay, yeah. <laughs> so how do I do that?
1: Yeah. Well, and I would say that you you would not be alone in that, Jonathan. Like I would say, <laughs> seriously, we have seen that um, in some of the data that we've collected that only about one in 10 social work practitioners, uh, clinical social workers, had taken a course on this in their their graduate training. And um, we see that less than half have received any kind of continuing education. And of course, we know that continuing education can look so different, you know, in each different, you know, it could have the same title, but it's, you know, the content is going to be different no matter what. Um, sure. Yeah. And so I would say that you absolutely aren't alone in that. That's something that we as a profession have, you know, we've grown in a lot of ways over the years, but, um, but we do still have, you know, some work ahead of us um, that we get to do.
0: So so in terms of this integration, um, Hmm. Okay, so there's the there's the lack of graduate level education or continuing education um, in this area. Mm
1: -hmm.
0: Um, And one of the things that we always say is that, you know, as a social worker, you don't have to have experienced something to be helpful. Right. Right. To be effective at helping somebody achieve some goals around a topic. And, And and that's good. I mean. Like it wouldn't work if you had to have experienced homelessness or sexual abuse or the death of a parent in order to help somebody with those topics. Right. So I think that's that's a good thing. But, Mm -hmm. um, you know, if only one in 10 have had any graduate level education, I would assume then there would have to be some sort of drawing on a personal Mm. experience. Like if you had literally no concept of religion or spirituality at all, again, this would be. I think a tough thing to address, like how many, how many social workers claim to have a a sort of a faith tradition or a spiritual practice or, or something like that? Like, and, and how many compared to clients?
1: Yeah. Oh, I love, I love all those questions. That's so, (laughs) so good. So, um, so you're right, you know, in the sense that we do not have to necessarily experience something in order to have empathy or to connect with someone and to hold space for their experience. That is that is so true and and we do need to be clear that and I hope, it's, I hope as I'm talking, it's clear that I in no way am um, a proponent of social workers necessarily having a specific faith tradition or having a faith tradition period. It's, the focus is really on our clients and what they believe and what they're experiencing. Um, I would note that what we have found in the data is that there are two predictors of social workers' views and behaviors around considering clients' faith. Um, The second largest predictor is whether or not they received training, and that includes whether or not they had taken a course on this or continuing education. Um, But the top predictor of whether or not, um, or their views or behaviors around integrating clients' faith is actually their intrinsic religiosity, which is their motivation, the social worker's motivation to live out their faith. Um, That has, we've seen that over and over again in the studies that 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 just continually shows up as being the top predictor and not just in social work, but in other helping professions too. Um, And so we, I want to be really clear that, you know, it's, that noting that makes it even more important, I think, for us to be mindful of what it is that we believe in and to spend some time um, thinking through that because clearly, what we uh, or our motivation to live out our faith is impacting what we do in practice. And that's extremely important when we see kind of what you were alluding to a moment ago that our um, beliefs and practices as social workers compared to the general population are extremely different. Um, From one study that we did looking at this national sample of clinical social workers, we found that um, uh, clinical social workers were much more likely to identify as being spiritual um, compared to the general population, and they were less likely to identify as being religious compared to the general population. So it was around um, 80% of clinical social workers said that they identify as a spiritual person, and um, about 35% who said that they were religious. And it was almost flipped when you looked at the general population in terms of those percentages. So that was interesting. Yeah. And clinical social workers see these two terms as being much more distinct compared to the general population. So our vocabulary matters when we're talking with clients about this area um, of their lives. And then when we look at the breakdown of religious affiliation, we again see a very big difference where, um, at least with clinical social workers, we see About half identify as Protestant compared to the general population, about half identify as Catholic compared to the general population, many, many more clinical social workers identify as Jewish compared to the general population, Um, and with it, it's about 22% as compared to about 2%. Um, and then Wow, wait, so you're yeah. saying that
0: twenty-two percent of social workers identify as Jewish compared to two percent of the general population?
1: Of this sample of clinical of social workers, yes. And and they it was um it was systematically randomly sampled across the US based on zip code. So yeah, that's that's what we found.
0: Wow. Which yeah. I have to say, I mean, it speaks to the fact that social work historically as a profession mm-hmm. was open to groups that were excluded yeah. from other things, right? So, yeah. um, so my next question, I know that I interrupted you, but I'm, I'm no, really okay. curious about how if you have any sort of um, data or information about what um, are sort of effective ways of negotiating this in in practice about mm. you, you know you you mentioned the first question but like but actually talking about it or at what point do you refer out or yeah. how do you just any of that
1: yeah no that's a really good question Um, and a complex one too, because I think this is (laughs) one, this is one of those questions where I really, I, I don't want to make up any blanket statements across the board because this is where the gift of discernment and paying close attention to your client's needs and paying close attention to, you know, your perceptions, your biases, your training, and just being really careful. Um, so I really, I really want to begin with that, um, but you made a great point before that, yes, um, what we believe in could be very different from our clients or, you know, we also have to be, so let me first say that, yes, we can have one social worker who identifies as one faith tradition and, and the client identifies with a different one and they could be very different. But I also want to note that there could be ways in which they are very similar, may have a Buddhist social worker with a Christian client who both elevate the practice of meditation or mindfulness in their own traditions, in their own unique ways. Um, And at the same time, you could have a social worker and a client who both would check the same box in terms of their religious affiliation, but be on completely different um, spectrums on various practices or issues or or things like that. So I just want to note that before I, I mention anything else, um, there are studies that are coming out in terms of like how to integrate this um, like ethically and very carefully and kind of to how to navigate this and, and you know when to discern um, when to refer out um, there's more in the research around integrating religion and spirituality into like cognitive behavioral therapy. There are manuals that are coming out that walk through that, um, in terms of how to, um, how to weave in coping statements that honor the client's faith or how to, uh, weave in faith-based images into, uh, thought stopping or cognitive restructuring or, um, you know, certain types of skills or behaviors that clients are wanting to engage in. So, I've seen a lot with that. Um, but as far as the referral piece, I think that's again why it's so important for social workers to really spend some time to think about what is it that they believe in? Um, how can they hold and expand their ability to hold what they believe in alongside what their clients believe in? To be able to sit with, Um, the discomfort that may arise if a client doesn't believe the same thing you do, but yet ethically you may need to still sit there and hold that space for them and to navigate that Um, and working with a, a strong supervisor to help partner with you to determine like, okay, is it at a point where I need to refer out? I think especially when there are like spiritual struggles that, really do require like theological training or some f- form of faith-based training regardless of the faith tradition. Um, I really think that it we need to normalize referring out to um, faith leaders that are within the client's tradition. But I would say that the social workers, it's really on us to do that background work of like Trying to find faith leaders, diverse faith leaders within our community um, that we could refer our clients to and to get to know those faith leaders so we know kind of where they stand on a number of social justice issues so that we don't cause more harm by referring our client out to someone who, you know, who may, you know, be in their, you know, trying their best to help the client, but really they're causing more trauma or harm. Um, so I think ways in which the social worker could like have a list of local faith leaders that they can talk through or ask questions about or say, hey, you know, this client is bringing up this practice. What does this mean? Um, just to increase their cultural competence and humility on these issues.
0: I mean, I think that's a really important point. It speaks to the fact that the social worker. Works in a multisystemic context. Yes. Right. We're You know, we've been talking a lot about sort of the mental health kind of therapy mm-hmm. room relationship. But what you just talked about is, is our responsibility to ethically and professionally engage in service coordination, referral. Mm-hmm. Um, and <clears throat> I know that in my work with suicide in schools that particularly when we talk about how – school, staff, members can help to negotiate the processing of grief and loss Mm -hmm. after someone dies by suicide, that the the conversation inevitably, and rightly so, includes faith communities Mm -hmm. because um, I think somebody once told me, I don't know if this is true, but, you know, that there's this kind of hypothesis that that kind of faith started because of People trying to explain and understand death, right? Oh. Like, how? Like, why do people die? What happens after death? Right? Everything else you can sort of touch and feel, and you mm-hmm. know, there's a sun god and there's a rain god, but like, what is death? Right? Oh. So that's sort of this this idea of sort of contemporary religion and spirituality. Um, and uh, if we have theologians listening, and I'm totally wrong, please, I apologize. So, um, <laughs> but uh, but but no, it does speak to this idea that. Um, you can be a mental health provider, there's a, there's a, a death in your community, mm-hmm. and if you don't know what the, um, the faith traditions are in your community, what their stances are on, say, suicide, mm-hmm. or what the resources are, um, mm-hmm. who in the community is going to be open to coordinating with yeah. you,
1: um,
0: then that is a huge gap in your professional knowledge base, and so I appreciate yeah. you. I appreciate you bringing that up. And, and I have to say, I always think about um, you know Dr. Julie Hanks, mm-hmm. uh, Church of Latter Day Saints. There's a lot. There's been a lot of stuff over the last few years about some of the decisions in the Church of Latter Day Saints mm-hmm. around the role of um, LGBTQ folks in in the community and what that means. And she's been very outspoken
1: yeah. as a social
0: worker. As yeah. Uh, You know, as a she's the wife of a bishop and she's she's uh, you know, she runs a a mental health clinic and Mm -hmm. she's been very outspoken about how it is important to distinguish the doctrine that that people yeah. Right. Yes. Versus right. Right. God's word.
1: That's right. Right.
0: That for me was a very powerful distinction. And mm. it was helpful thinking about where do you stand on these things? These things that I know that are important for my client and, and, and having that distinction in mind was really helpful.
1: I I think that that's really important. I like how you brought that up.
0: Um, I'm going to pivot a little bit. Okay. because and I, and I know that you you've done a ton of research on all of this and so we could go down the rabbit hole in terms of research studies but I but I actually don't want to do that because <laughs> <laughs> um, um, you know I mean as a researcher there's some things that I find exciting but I, I know that, um,
1: not everyone. Um, I mean, we geek not, out of it, but yeah. Not everyone
0: does. <laughs> and you've actually, mm. uh, uh, because I know your research. I know that you've actually been speaking from your research, mm-hmm. and so I, I think that's, that that's right. great. And I, yeah, you know, everybody can uh, can can read the research, but but you. Um, you're also a podcaster. I am! You, you are the co-host uh, with Robert Voore with uh, the Christianity and Mental Health podcast. That's which,
1: right. Which you right? connected us, Jonathan Singer. <laughs> that's, yes.
0: That's, that's right. I was, um, I was, uh, I had the honor and pleasure of being on <laughs> the CXMH podcast um, with Sherry Moloch. That's
1: right. Who, mm-hmm.
0: who is a um, suicide prevention researcher, and she works around developing suicide prevention in African-American churches. Mm-hmm. Yep. Uh, and so it was, it was a really, it was a great experience. But I was wondering if you could talk about how you use mm. this podcast to 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 bring together mental health professionals and religious leaders, how you see the CXMH podcast as a resource for social workers. um, um, and, And even if there have been any conversations that you've that have really sort of Kind of stuck in your mind that you've had in that.
1: Yeah. Oh man. You are. I'm just so excited that you asked about <laughs> this. Um, and it's. It really is so fun because when we. When you and I met in 2017 to talk about some of the research. It was like at the end of our conversation, they were like, hey, do you know who Robert Boris is? You need to check it out. You need to check out CXMH. And a year later, I was uh, like, hey, y'all, I'm a new co-host. Um, so anyways. That was
0: amazing. It was so
1: yeah. fun. Yeah. So, uh, yeah. So I I love this podcast. This this opportunity to get to talk with mental health care providers, faith leaders, um, researchers, those who experience mental health struggles, um, and just have these conversations. It's just been, it's been such an honor to have these, uh, to, to share these spaces with our guests. But honestly, what I have loved so much about it is that I really do see how it aligns with some of my work with advocacy by disseminating research um, and making it, uh, making it accessible in a way that Anyone can understand um, because we know that there are struggles with accessing academic journal articles, being able to understand them and all these things. But I really do love how this podcast ends up being a space for some of that research to be translated and made applicable for faith leaders, mental health care providers and clients or those who love someone with a mental illness. Um, but it's just been, I mean, it's really just been a delight to get to be on it and to connect with so many folks who are doing such good work. I would say that, um, the thing that I don't know, I'm trying to think, I mean, there's a lot of conversations that really jump out at me that have been powerful ones that I've had, um, over the last, uh, couple of years or few years being on it. But I think... Um, I think generally just, I think what's been most powerful has been the responses that we've been getting from the listeners. Like Robert and I sit at our computers and have these conversations with these brilliant people. But then when we see the feedback from listeners around how, they have um taken the content from the episodes and applied it to their everyday life or like we had one person who we had an episode where the guests talked about traveling out and um, going on pilgrimage to the camino de santiago and one of our listeners after listening to that episode went on pilgrimage uh, (laughs) and told us about it and that just like it just is so humbling and um, it's just such a privilege to get to have these conversations, but, but mostly, I, I mean, my role, as you mentioned at the beginning, is as an associate dean for research. And so much of my heartbeat behind this role is how do we get the good, good work that faculty are doing and the research that folks are doing? And how do we get it out to the people who really could use this and benefit from it and, and learn from it? Um, rather than keeping it locked away. Um, so that's kind of what I've loved about it overall.
0: That's, I think that that's a really great use of a podcast. And, mm. I, and I think that, you know, in, in, in academia, we call that social scholarship, right? Right. It is yeah. the, the, the use of social media, the use of social channels to, uh, not just to share findings from the Academy mm-hmm. with others, but also to have a dialogue yes. with folks which then changes how we go about answering questions, the kinds of questions we answer. Yes, um, and, and I frame it that way because that's what I think of as research, right? Yeah. Research is simply um, how, how the questions we we ask and how we're answering them. Yeah, and, and so I think that social scholarship is is incredibly powerful, and I think it's great that you're doing that around this topic of religion and spirituality. Um, mm. And and I have to say, I mean, I, I think that. The last few years, really since 2017, there's been this explosion yeah. in social workers uh, taking up podcasting and addressing all sorts of issues, yeah, um, and um, and 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 unpacking all sorts of topics that previously have not been unpacked,
1: yeah.
0: Um, and so I think it's, that that's great that you're doing that around religion and spirituality. Um,
1: <sighs> Thank
0: it, you. So. I want to I want to end with this um, uh, kind of just this idea that you know religion and spirituality is important for clients mm-hmm. and providers. It looks different in clients and providers. Mm-hmm. It's important to bring up, but you don't have to be the one to end the conversation. Right? right? You can right. you can refer out, and that that has to do with understanding the the different systems, the different um, faith communities, uh, mm-hmm. how to ask questions about those, to find the the people that are going to be helpful, not harmful to your clients. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, and like you said, there's there's a ton of research that you've done. I shouldn't say there's a ton of research. You have done a bunch of research <laughs> on this topic, mm. and and you have the CXMH podcast is one way of of, of disseminating that. Um. So if there's one or two things that you hope social workers really take away from this conversation as they Mm. consider the role of religion and spirituality in social work practice. What would that be?
1: Um, I think first, I would ask social workers to um, not be afraid of this topic. You may not have gotten training in it. That doesn't mean that you avoid it completely. Um, There's a lot of topics and areas in our profession where we don't get specific training in, but we're really still called to pay attention to these diverse areas of our clients' lives. Um, And so, and especially knowing that um, about 80% of US adults say that their religion is at least somewhat or very important to them, we cannot avoid this uh, topic. And we know that, that clients say that they want the therapist to be the one to bring it up because of it being taboo. So, so I would want to start by asking social workers to just not be afraid, um, but to read about this, perhaps before jumping right into it. Like maybe read some um, some books. I have a, a whole list of books I recommend on my website under the resources tab at um, hollyoxhandler.com. That could at least give you a starting point. And there are some trainings that I have linked in there as well. Um, so I would say start with that. Um, and then I, the second piece I would really say would be I would ask social workers to carve out some time to think through and pay attention to the role of religion and spirituality in your life in in whatever way it looks like, whether you identify as religious or spiritual or neither or both or whatever that looks like for you. Um, and I think as we begin to recognize some of the complexity of it within our own lives, I think we're able to hold space for the complexity of it within our clients' lives. Um, so I would I would ask them to pay a little bit closer attention to that um, within their own lives as well.
0: Well, and I and I appreciate you uh, mentioning these resource links, because, you know, this I think everybody's on a different place in their journey mm-hmm. with this. Um, That's right. Yeah. Um, you know, if we if we think about the stages of change models, some people are yes. like, why do I have even to think about this? Right. Kind yes. of pre-contemplation. Mm-hmm. Um, Uh, And so you have HollyOxHandler.com, right, Mm -hmm. where people can go get resources. I also know that you are on all sorts of social media, Mm -hmm. um, and I think your handle is at HollyOxHandler.
1: Yep, that's right.
0: Which is great um, (laughs) that you have that one. Um, (laughs)
1: uh,
0: And so, you know, what I would just say for, you know, um, for the listener – Uh, Go ahead and subscribe to Holly's stuff because that is a way that you can get it pushed to you. And as you're looking through your feed, you're like, oh, wow, that's really cool. Like this new study just came out that has some really important implications for my practice Mm -hmm. or, um, you know, if you're a faculty member, doctoral student, whatever, you can also have access to that. And I think that's really important. And I have to say that, you know, because you're doing stuff that – relates to so many people
1: yeah
0: the the percentage of people mm-hmm. in the United States that that say that they have either a religious or spiritual practice is huge compared mm-hmm. to a lot of the other things that we deal with uh, if you're listening and you subscribe and you're like oh this is great mm-hmm. like you could share Holly's information with people that aren't social workers yeah then that's right. they would have access to it too so that's a great thing about your work and mm. and it's something that's not not everybody can do that, right? Not everybody has a topic that, um, is more easily shared with the general public. So, um,
1: Oh, thank um, you. Thank you for noting that. I appreciate it.
0: Yeah, of course. And, you know, Holly, thank you for all of your, your research and your scholarship over the years on this and for being on the podcast and, and talking with us today about religion and spirituality and, um, social work practice i really appreciate it
1: well oh, thank you so much jonathan i appreciate you and all the good work that you are doing um with this podcast with um the association and with just so many of us you are just such an important um part of our profession and i'm grateful for you too so thank you
0: oh, thank you <laughs> of
1: course of course
0: I'm Jonathan Singer and thanks for being with me today for another episode of the Social Work Podcast if you missed an episode or have suggestions for future episodes please visit socialworkpodcast.com if you'd like to support the podcast please visit our online store at cafepress.com swpodcast to all the social workers out there keep up the good work we'll see you next time at the Social Work Podcast